I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. And we love to watch. We love to watch Nun Island, but it's not the sexy kind. But this movie is obscure enough that I think we might be the only people who ever done a dedicated movie episode on it. Yeah, but see, if you had said your first tagline about how many fucking movies there are called Dark Water or Dark Waters. If you look up Dark Water, it is literally on the second page of results for movies called Dark Water. (laughs) Isn't the movie called Dark Waters or is it Dark Water? It's Dark Waters. Yeah, this is. Yeah, it's called Dark Waters. But if you just look, if you just type in Dark Water... Folks, I know this sounds like a bit. It is not a bit this time. Yeah. Like, it's not one of our classic bits where we say stuff like, yeah, I saw Die Hard 2 also. (laughs) Like, (laughs) um, no, not one of those. I uh, originally was planning to watch Dark Water, the Japanese movie from 1994. Yeah. Something like that. Six? Uh, um, Six, yeah. About, uh, no. Stop me if you've heard this one. Mm-hmm. Dark Waters. Mm-hmm. Um, and because Peter likes that movie. And he talks about it on Spooktober. And I'm like, great, that's what we're watching. I had the Blu-ray. And then when we were talking about it on some episode, uh, Peter's like, uh, not that one. That's not a Lovecraft <laughs> movie. It's a good movie. It's a scary movie. Spooky it's movie. Great, yeah. Not a Lovecraft movie. And it's Lovecraft month that we love to watch again. Uh <laughs> where where we love to watch our movie podcast, we pick a theme. We do movies over the course of that month around that theme. And you would think it was Groundhog Day month because it is our third week of Lovecraft month. Well, uh, you had such a uh, uh, drugs and other Lovecraft. Lovecraft and other drugs. Love Lovecrafts and other drugs. Yeah, let's do that. Sure. It's good to figure it out on your quote-unquote third week. But yeah, we're in our third <laughs> week of uh, January 2021, just so everyone knows the calendar that it is right at this moment when you're listening to it or after. <laughs> because people, this is a fact uh, I've learned from checking our metrics. People can listen to podcasts after they come out. They're not just always on that day and month. Also, we say goodnight at the end of most episodes, and I, if the if the numbers bear out correctly, some people listen to the show during the day. Look, here's what I gotta say to those people. It is fine if you listen to the show during the day. We accept you. Yeah. I just however, assumed that you all however, went to speakeasies, you had to know a code word, and then someone pulled up their SoundCloud account and y'all gathered around it uh, in the back room of some Chicago bar to listen to us only at night. My point is after you listen to it, ideally I don't care if it's two in the afternoon or two in the morning, you go immediately to bed. (laughs) (laughs) The, The really, the goal in this podcast is to we say it every week so we're gonna say it this week People don't get enough sleep. You know how many sleep? You know how many? You know how many sleep you're supposed to get each night? How many hours of sleep you're supposed to get each night, Peter? Many sleeps. Eighteen, 18 hours, hours of sleep each night. Most people, from my research, get two to three, and then another seven to eight because uh, we're all working from home and taking siestas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's sort of a European word for a depression nap. 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, it's where you, yeah, you lay down and you, you hope, you hope you got a little bit of a restless leg syndrome while you sleep. So you kick your mouse. So it still shows that you're, you know, you put your mouse under your foot. Are we still working from home in January of 2021? Yes. What this podcast presupposes is yes. <laughs> Peter, it's, it's, it's love and other Lovecrafts, love drugs and other loves, Lovecraft, Lovecraft um, and other drugs. So I had never heard of this. Well, I'd heard of the movie Dark Water. I hadn't heard of this movie called Dark Water. Had you heard of the uh, Mark Ruffalo movie Dark Water? Now I have that I watched it first on accident. I'm like, well, you know, capitalism is like a unknown horror uh, to most people because that would they be kind of great if they just made a movie that looks like a, a civil action or a Dark Waters, like a or a um, the not the informant. Well, yeah, the informant. Yeah, the what informant, was the one with? Sure. What was the one that Michael the uh, Michael Mann the, one? The Insider. The Insider. Like, they made, like, a movie that just looks like a drama about an evil corporation, a Michael Clayton or whatever. Uh, and then it's it's a secret Lovecraft movie. That would be yeah. rad, right? Yeah. That'd <laughs> be great. Boy. It's like, oh, my God. <laughs> he, the he the find, secret to Syriana's tentacles. You find out that, like, they're not just polluting for no reason. They're, like, terraforming for, you know, Yogg-Sothoth or some shit. So, you know what? Not only is that a great idea, Peter, I actually think our biggest problem with Lovecraft movies, which we were kind of getting into this month a little bit, is that that is a fucking great idea. I don't mean that sarcastically. Great idea. And I feel like more people don't take Lovecraft concepts and make their own movie about it. I think too many people try to, A, make a monster movie with a Lovecraft monster, which we saw last week to varying degrees of success. Uh, or they try to um, make a uh, make a Lovecraft movie that is a straight a- adaptation, which we saw successfully done uh, in the first week of this month with Colorado Space. But we also, you know, noted when we did our Lovecraft adaptation double month – uh, a lot of those suck pretty bad. <laughs> we found some good ones, but there's a lot more that are not so good. Uh, there's a reason it's... we've avoided a lot of the straight adaptations and uh, done more uh, movies that we either interpret to be Lovecraftian or they're more obscure but good. We're going for movies that are good extrapolations of the formula and not necessarily just... Hey, these guys read the same book that we like, or at the very, at the very least, interesting. Like, there's just yes. too much stuff. Like, one thing, uh, both Peter and I have read the book "The Lurker in the Lobby," which I'd recommend. Um, it's just kind of a fun. Uh, at the time it was written, which is at this point about like ten years ago, it's, it's kind of a catalog of Lovecraftian movies. And what you find is that there's just a lot of Lovecraftian movies, quote unquote Lovecraftian movies, that, as Peter said in our first Lovecraft month, is oh, it's a tentacle monster. Or it's a weird-looking horror. Like, it's just a monster that looks like someone uh, that came from the Lovecraft uh, collectible card game or role-playing game box or something. And, like, that's still cool because the designs and the indescribable monsters uh, and what they try to create out of those has an aesthetic value that I enjoy quite a bit. Um, It's not really Lovecraftian. And so I think this is actually a movie, Peter – that kind of skirts that edge. Like, I, I think you could make a case that this is not um, primarily a Lovecraftian movie. Um, it's it's actually, like, it's definitely an unknowable horror. 
Uh, but it's it's kind of an unknowable horror in the vein of a Christian god, uh, which usually is kind of the antithesis of Lovecraft. Like Lovecraft likes to posit uh, gods that are these unknowable monstrosities that aren't made in human form like popular other gods like Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Um uh, other ones I'm forgetting. Uh, he's a big one. He's v- super Huge. popular in in the God community. Definitely top shelf. I'd say top in terms three. of quality, but like you know notoriety. Yeah, but like that's the thing. Like gods that uh, people have worshipped usually bear a resemblance to them. Like the all the Roman and Greek gods and stuff like that. It's the idea of like a guy. He's got kick ass muscles. Maybe he's handsome. Maybe he's got some superpowers. But like I get that guy. Like, and especially, like, the Greek gods, like, you get that guy, because his whole thing is just, I don't know, fucking and drinking and stuff. Like, that was, <laughs> that was like, that's a god that you can get behind as someone who, those are things that I enjoy. Um, and, and you know, the, the love crap, and, and that's a little bit of, like, the Jesus and Christian god, too. Like, it's that idea of... He was, you know, Jesus was a was a famous socialist and didn't like capitalism and stuff like that. But he was a revolutionary type God who wanted stuff to be better for people that weren't in power. And that's still kind of a God that you can wrap your head around. So the idea of kind of making a specific like nun horror, uh, Christian horror with like all of the most um, Lovecraftian uh versions of like a savior uh uh imagery with complete with like crucifix and blood and stuff like that it's a really interesting thing that i haven't really seen before and i i think the movie's thesis peter and you can correct me if i'm wrong is like hey the idea of a jesus holy trinity type god who like gave his blood and stuff like that. That's an unknowable weird horror that we've gotten used to as a culture, mm-hmm. but let's strip it down to some of its more horrific elements and it and it represents more of a uh you know and try to try to depict that as an unknowable color out of space monstrosity. Yeah, yeah. And and uh just before we get into this, um this show, if you've never before. listened before, I said we, we are, love to watch. We are fully spoiler territory now because what I'm about to say is obviously a major spoiler. This is the third act twist of the movie. Um but I I really think it's important to talk about it now to sort of sure. shore up why we're talking about it this month. It's not just cuz it's a movie that touches on Lovecraft <laughs> and I think is cool and also um one of our missions in doing this podcast is yeah. to expose people to movies they might not have seen otherwise. Are you um, a 2002 Chevy Malibu cuz you're about to get spoiled? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so the the one of the central twists of the movie, or the central twist of the movie, I should say, uh, is that this uh, apparently uh, this these nuns that live on this island, uh, they're not actually devil worshippers. Uh, yeah. They're actually protecting uh, a specific uh, a specific place and a specific set of idols from outsiders. Um, because mm-hmm. if you reunite the pieces of this tablet into this image of this Dagon like God, um, this mother of eternal sorrow, uh, they gender the God to have a woman appearance, which is kind of interesting. Cause usually in the Lovecraft canon, it's all like at Hulu at best gets a, a, a he, right. Um, 
And same with, uh, you know, Shoggoths and such. Um, so, uh, with this, 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 this group of nuns, we think they're, they're an evil Satan-worshipping cult that's trying to murder our protagonist who just wants to get to the bottom of the truth. You find out our protagonist is actually, like, a fairly sizable threat to the world, and that she is sort of a, a daughter or an offspring of this evil, uh, you know, whatever, uh, Lovecraftian, uh, in terms of morality, um, God, um, and that these nuns were actually, by trying to kill her, trying to protect the world from this evil being unleashed. And there's other trademarks of of, uh, of Lovecraft. We'll get to it because it'd be more fun to kind of break them apart. A, a lot of the the sea monster stuff is clearly out of Lovecraft. Guy hated the fucking ocean. That guy uh, was like the only thing he hated more than the ocean <laughs> was the idea of. Uh, talking to people who were in any way remotely different than him. <laughs> Those two. Those are really the central, the central ones. That um, I mean, the last one encompasses a lot. Yeah, yeah. This movie is also uh, does a great job of uh, instead of being racist against people of color, instead of being anti-Semitic. The the movie does have uh, fear of the outsider, and it's specifically Ukrainian people. Core Lovecraftian um, mythos is is very interestingly played off against Catholic doctrine and the mm-hmm. fact that um, there is some sort of perverted, corrupt version of Catholicism in how this Lovecraftian deity has uh, set its plans forth. Um, However, it's in direct opposition to a group of nuns who are viewing this as, as essentially the work of the devil and are using, you know, th- this this convent as cover for their true practice, which is to prevent a Lovecraftian deity from rising, which is kind of cool. So, it is cool, but I also think one thing it does is it that I really like um, is it separate. It, it makes clear how little separation there is between the concept of essentially like uh, unknowable gods from outer space and like Christian theology. And there's a great scene where our protagonist is flipping through a Bible and sees like what's essentially a drawing or a rendering of the monstrosity, the Lovecraftian monstrosity. And she does like look at it enough because we're noticing it as as you know, people watching the movie and she stopped the book and she goes, oh, that's odd. And then kind of goes on and you go, yeah, that's that's a weird image to be in a Bible. But is it really that different than like some of the especially like middle age artistic renderings of demons and beasts and like the ineffable concept of like the seven deadly sins and stuff like that. Like, you know, I, I think Peter, my guess is we've actually never talked about this in the show. I have a sneaking suspicion because we are very similar people that you and I both had like a, just a general affinity to like, um, paradise lost and Dante's Inferno and that kind of stuff. Like imagery, because like the imagery, even in like Christian text of hell, when it kind of became this like um, impressionistic or like, you know, uh, modernistic like depictions of like what these beasts have morphed into, like you're actually closer to the idea of like unknowable yeah. <laughs> crafty and terror than anything like specifically Christian. Like they were imagining a Christian hell and what would and what unknowable, unfathomable eternal pain would bring. But they 
you know, that depiction of the unfathomable torture of, in this case, not knowledge, but, you know, literal fire and stuff like that, and where that spits out, um, you know, so, so far down the road, like, really led to imagery that is not, is not out of place in Lovecraftian mythos and, and vice versa. Um, oh yeah, and and it's not even just and it's not even just the direct depictions of that text, right? Um, yeah, it, it, it's also the actual text itself. Like um, the 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 Bible um, describes uh, in great detail these like <laughs> sounded like a second like you were about to give a book report. <laughs> <laughs> the Bible describes in great detail a few different uh, creatures. Um, yeah. in like particularly the story of yeah. Noah and that was you know ended up that's what Darren Aronofsky started adapting these like strange giant creatures and people were like why are you making a Clash of the Titans movie with the Bible it's like it's because Darren Aronofsky was obsessed He's like shut the fuck up I got even bigger plans for the Bible <laughs> he was like I want I want the to depict this part of these old Bible stories that usually gets overshadowed or yeah. has been completely scrubbed out of like the new American Bible versions of the text but as a Jewish man um he you know reading the torah he had like these these images in his head of these giants and such and then uh uh, there's uh, hold on like there's so much good stuff like that in the bible that that gets and uh, there's like oh it gets buffed out basically it's it's buffed out like no one wants to talk about it more but there's like this is this is not explicit, obviously, but like there's basically whole scenes of like Elijah being like, "Don't you know the creature that God created? <laughs> that uh, that thirty story octopus man who sometimes comes and kicks over our houses? Don't you think God designed that for a reason?" And everyone's like, "Everyone's like, oh yeah, weird. Oh, they they didn't know how to describe a goat back then. <laughs> like it's so fucking funny. All the like." Um, all that kind of stuff that's on the periphery of like a lot of Old Testament stuff, <laughs> just as like uh, you know, and then Elijah said, meh, 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 you know, yada yada. They went on the chariot. Let's move on. <laughs> yeah, and like these monsters would just like make little cameo appearances in the Bible, and then like there wasn't a centralized lore text for it, right? No, it would just it would just be left in the image of the of the the, the reader uh, or the or you know in most cases the person hearing the the oral version of it and then like the concept of angelic uh or uh, biblical angels uh their angels were not depicted as uh as a people uh people do not become angels in the bible angels are a a, a sort of a part of the heavenly canon and they're these like crazy looking uh vivid strange creatures and there's this look up like the concept of the seraphim like the, yeah. there's yeah there's, there's these like the bible has like a strange amount of like a lore and pokemon that they just chucked in there that uh just got buffed out in the version that you teach kids and therefore uh and then also like if what you're trying to do in missionary work is spread the word of the Bible as like a series of moral texts, you're not like, you're not like, okay, so here's why uh, there's multiple versions of the Ten Commandments. Here's why all of them are relevant. Also, when you see God, there's going to be a fucking weird beagle thing, like an eagle dog. Yeah, so it's got thing. four lion heads. Don't stare at it. Just. Try try to make maintain eye contact with God. He yeah, don't like the, it, the seraphim does not like being looked at. Look, it knows it's part of a different time. 
<laughs> when <laughs> when people bought into different things, but like you know, it's a seraphim. It can't change with the times. Yeah. Um, there's so much of that, and that's why like there's a lot of good Christian horror that's just based on like taking biblical stuff literally. Also, not explicitly Christian horror, but like a lot of good fucking video games, <laughs> like. The Devil May Cry series or like Bayonetta or a lot of these is based on like, yeah, let's just use the Bible as all of our crazy giant uh, monster bosses that, that you have to fight. Oh, especially like, like Renaissance art, because Renaissance art would be like yeah. uh, they, they would, of course, s- smooth out some things. Right. Um, that uh, angels became really hot and buff. Uh, but Renaissance art was also obsessed with, well, how can we depict hell in a very vivid visual context yeah. so that when you get bored in church uh you have to stare at a nightmare when you're looking at the ceiling yeah that's why revelation is i think the only bible book i've read like cover to cover that like, has a oh, big sh- monster in the sea uh yeah beast is described leviathans as like, and shit like that he's like, like oh yeah it's got like fucking goat feet and uh uh what else I got frog hands. Uh, uh, what else you got? Uh, lion tits. What's a lion tit? It births a mother who bleeds all over the seven. <laughs> what? <laughs> that sounds gross. Let's do it. Um, but I do think, like, again, that is all, like, that is all shit we are used to. And so, like, we just don't think of how. Like, it, it matches un- – like, if you were to s- describe this stuff to people, it is – those creatures have as much of a, um, a, a, a evocative imagery that it evokes without really being able to put your finger on it as shit in At the Mountains of Madness or um, or Shadows Over Innsmouth. Like, the they're like these descriptions that don't fully make sense. Your brain pieces them together. They've inspired tons of fan art over the years. And so I really like the idea of taking, um, you know, the Lovecrafting ethos of this kind of like dark god who um, is being like kept at bay um, by a religion, you know, a explicitly religious order because – Ultimately, like, that is what priests and nuns do, according to, like, Catholic – I was – like, I don't know how to say, like, Catholic lore <laughs> or Catholic – like, the, the why are priests um, and nuns and monks and deacons – like, what, what are they here for? Well, they're here because this is not God's kingdom. This is an evil place ruled by demons, the earth, right? And they are here to protect us from that evil to protect us from falling into sin and torture and stuff like that. Well, that is remarkably similar to the idea of like a religious cult who is uh, either in this case, keeping people from, you know, getting the metals aligned so that this girl doesn't come back to the Island and joins her, you know, uh, weird <laughs> alien God sister, and destroy the world. Like, they're not that dissimilar. And I'm actually surprised um, how little media makes that connection. Yeah. And I, and I, um, I mean, I think that's largely because um, at a certain point, uh, your cult just becomes widely accepted. Uh, yeah. But I think that we're going to see in the next, we're already seeing drop offs in terms of who uh, uh, people signing up to become priests in the Catholic church. Uh, we're going, and I, 
and we're still seeing huge drop-offs in people trying to join um uh you know uh, become brothers and sisters in the church yeah. um that's been happening since i was a kid and they like every so often you know the priests would drop that line like in their their homilies to say like uh hey like if you know someone that's interested we've got open <laughs> jobs um well, do you make lo- any money no no you get like no. cool house no. If you're a really cool, charismatic priest, everyone will think you're uh, a, a child molester. Um, so. Yeah, that's kind of like the best you can do from like, well, if you're a charismatic, cool priest, possibly people in confession will want to fuck you. And sometimes it seems like you will do that. So that'll be good. <laughs> that'll be good for you. Um, I mean, don't worry. Uh, every 20 years, uh, the conversation will, the, the carrot will be dangled about whether or not uh, they'll allow marriage. And then uh, they'll be strongly, strongly batted away by the Pope. Um, I always love when like a priest is up there like, they say they want marriage from priests. I don't want to get married. <laughs> I'm fine fucking all your wives in the <laughs> congregation. Um uh, oh man he's like <laughs> i never heard uh the parable of the the cow and the milk <laughs> yeah. uh yeah uh and lo the, the lord Church. said if you can get it for free well i also just think like i you know I'm, I'm not trying to like do like a shared like artistic ethos across generations and and mythos and stuff like that or or um but there is something like one thing I always thought was really funny. Did you have? Did you ever watch any of the um, like, especially before it became a series? Like, uh, probably not because you're probably too young. Because now that I'm realizing, I watch these like in college for fun. But like the original like Ancient Aliens History Channel stuff. I only watched uh, a little bit of it, largely clips to make fun of it, uh, and then I saw yeah. an episode that made me really mad, and I stopped watching. Yeah, so it didn't used to be a series. It just used to have, here's a special on Ancient Aliens. I remember watching that. So it was like more of an overview, which my guess, I never watched the series, but my guess is it picks a specific ancient alien and, I don't know, researches it. Yeah, and they're, but, like, they're like how Machu Picchu might have been designed uh, by giants. So one thing that was so funny about that to me is they would show these like um, pictures of like um, – renaissance era art right and they you know the, the the guy with the wild hair and other guys too were like you see see in the back there there's a little circular object that's on fire what else could that be but a flying saucer and like stuff like that and like yeah it's more just that um imagery and that kind of like unknowable imagery doesn't change and like the shit that like people saw in the sky because of weird cloud stuff or didn't know what Venus was or whatever else. Like back then they thought it was like chariots and angels because that was like their reference point uh, from a like supernatural pop culture perspective. And like, and now because people don't believe that there's angel chariots flying in the sky, they see the same shit and go, Oh, it's a flying saucer from from space this is science um and it actually just like reinforced that like it's so funny that they don't make that connection they think it proves that like you know that uh that that flying saucers were visiting the renaissance painters too um 
but it's it does really I think speak to that idea of like there's actually like not that separate much separation from the idea of angels in the sky and flying saucers. There's not that much separation from the idea of Lovecraftian monsters and a seven layer hell where uh, humans and beasts are malformed and and uh, have uh, nefarious plans on the living that we can't quite comprehend. They have evil. Um, motivations and Lovecraftian gods have unknowable motivations, but the end result and what they're trying to accomplish is the same. And I don't know if the movie explicitly set out to like, it's the same. doesn't matter if it's a demon or a Lovecraftian thing. Like, look how easy these things fit together. But I, you know, we, to, to kind of put a bow on the, you know, what, what are interesting and unique Lovecraft adaptations that don't get made i do think that this is taking it in a direction and explicitly it related to mythos and uh, supernatural lore and other things that have existed and tying it into uh, a newer version of that yeah i i completely agree and like the to go back to something we were talking about a little bit ago like the edges of Christianity and uh, in some cases Judaism, but mostly Christianity were buffed off uh, to make it more palatable for missionary work. And yeah. um, it's very distracting when you're trying to say, make a truck driver um, see the, you know, uh, see why he needs to get good with God <laughs> um, when he's at, at a truck stop for the evening. Uh, it's easier to do that than launch in with like, okay, so... <laughs> Hell's really complicated and there's this limbo and if you don't get your baby baptized fast enough, the baby will go here. And like uh, getting into like all the, the, the Catholic lore it became kind of second nature to here are moral codes to live your life by, um, which I'm not saying that they're, they're the right codes to live your life by, but whatever. <laughs> the, the, but growing up Catholic, one of the interesting things about growing up Catholic is that like you – start to see that Catholicism is an organization that abhors secret societies and yet keeps secret societies. Like, uh, yeah, they, they hate other secret societies. Yes. Yes. I mean, I mean, our secrets are secrets. Like what secrets do they have? Why don't they tell us so we can, yeah, the Catholic colonizing. Church being very distrusting of Masons and look up the history of the Knights Templar, like shit like that. Right. Um, not to mention, um, their distrust of uh, Jewish people, um, like in in history in general, um, who would, you know, form into communities like any other group. And then they'd be like, what the hell are they doing over there? Um, like, I don't know, dude, eating and talking, whatever you're doing. Uh, Catholics were d- over the history of the, the organization, deeply distrustful of secret societies, but they would build their own secret societies. And there's a couple things I want to note before we kind of move on to the main body of the episode. And one yeah. is that this um, this deity in its text is referred to as the Alpha and the Omega, um, which is what uh, a terminology that is used for Jesus Christ. Uh, he referred to himself as the Alpha and the Omega. And that sort of idea that like um, this entity is more than just like you know, they a say piece about in a pride pack. going before the fall, there, Peter. <laughs> of course, tone it down a little, Jesus Christ. It's <laughs> getting a little, little uppity. I'm um, the Alpha and Omega. Okay, like pick one. Yeah. Um, the the idea of of this this creature saying I'm so 
or you know, it's his worshippers saying, or her worshippers, I should say, uh, saying that this uh, this creature is so big that it cannot be uh, confined to flesh and blood. It cannot be confined to a single spirit. Uh, it, it is, in a sense, everything. And in the same step, the movie has a very un- not subtle metaphor uh, in the last act when a character tries to murder one of the main characters with a she's walking around with a cross and she pulls out a staff part of the cross and there's a knife in there. And so I think the whole movie is deeply distrustful of secret societies, secret structures, but also understands by the end that uh, one of the reasons these secret structures exist is to protect us your common morons. So, Aaron, do you want to talk about Dark Waters? How dark were you talking? It's, it's I, like, you won't even see your feet, man. Oh, yeah. I'll just wear uh, pool shoes. Remember to shuffle your feet, though, for stingrays. have any alternate taglines for dark waters i do a spoon none weighs a ton <laughs> this lady's none the wiser <laughs> nuns under the gun <laughs> nuns on the run yeah they don't run they stay on that island which is disappointing based on how i understood uh nuns prefer mobility I, maybe the stereotypes cannot be believed you know what else these nuns don't have fun <laughs> These nuns, they have no funds. They have, I mean, unless you like self-flagellation, because... Oh, yeah. Which some people do. I don't want to, I don't want to kink shame. Yeah, don't, don't, don't kink shame the self-flagellates. Yeah, these these guys are some kinky motherfuckers under those circumstances. Uh, yeah, they're into some dom play with, um, the concept of staving off Lovecraftian oblivion. That sounds like a Chuck Tingle book. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> pounded in the butt by the fe- by a fear yeah. of a Lovecraftian god. Yeah, the fear of the ascension of a Lovecraftian monstrosity. <laughs> you know what's weird? Uh, they burn crosses in this movie, but because the filmmaker is Italian uh, no. and the movie is shot in the Ukraine and it's written by Brits, I don't think that they even were thinking of like the American like. KKK. Whereas while us watching that movie, I saw a burning cross and I was like, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, he's everywhere in this movie. So I was I like, we're in the why. Ukraine. If I'm being honest, like the imagery was so like far from the type of cross burning that we associate with like KKK and white supremacist groups. Like it almost didn't even register for me because it's like, yeah, I mean, they also have like the weird fucking like crucifix blood draped body thing like you know the what well, that's actually like i i think this will be a relatively short episode and not because this movie's not good like i think my our main goal in this movie specifically is a to make you aware of its existence and b that you should watch it if you like horror religious horror lovecraftian horror and i guess part of that is just because like the movie is not much plot not that much dialogue. Uh, not just, It's just all this, like, gorgeous, gorgeous, bizarre, twisted religious imagery. And so, like, yeah, that the, – the cross burning has a particular connotation when it comes to, like, the United States, a horrible connotation. 
but you just it's so easy to get sucked up in like the nun cave where they keep back the 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 unknowable monster and commit murders and stuff in there that like you are just kind of sucked into this otherworldliness of this island i think it's a good way of putting it um let me sort of run through the plot real quick and then we can get to the meat of yeah. things so our main character elizabeth uh her father passed away uh, and he has been making donations to a strange island, a strange island convent near the Ukraine. A hundred percent. This daughter was like, I'm going to go meet a sister, um, <laughs> which happened. Yeah. But not in the way she thought, like secret family. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, sure. None island he donates to every month. Fuck you, dad. <laughs> uh, your yeah, business I mean- trips. I mean, if you found out your father passed away and he had been giving money to a nun island and no one will tell you why, like, it's got to be sex stuff, right? My father specifically? Your dad specifically. Yeah, I'd be like, yeah, another one of their dumbass charities. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, my dad would not flinch, would not think it's a weird sex thing. (laughs) Most dad, your dad... I would know it's a weird sex. What if your dad had a secret family with, like, 16 kids? Jesus Christ, we'll spend more time with them instead of ruining all our fun with your attitude and ideas. (laughs) So, she goes to uh, the the, uh, convent on Nun Island through this very eerie sort of uh, strange, like, almost like uh, a land where almost everyone seems mentally unfit. Um... And we'll get back to that because that's so part a Catholic of... convent. Yes, <laughs> to a, a totally healthy location, uh, a place. See, for the I, same yeah, I actually don't think it convent. feels that off. Like, yeah. <laughs> everyone in the movie, except for Elizabeth, seems uh, to be operating off of like I'm going to act like a nightmare. <laughs> it's like her, yeah. Elizabeth, and um, and Sarah are the only people in this movie who act normal and then we find out in the third act they are the least normal of everyone um so let's get there uh elizabeth is on the island uh sort of poking around and oddly enough the island is like yeah we'll make you at home you're gonna have to give up all your belongings but like we'll make you at home like they give her access to the library she starts snooping around and then the uh the island catches wind of this and the nuns uh start putting out hits on her (laughs) Uh, so she has to fight off and uh, kill a, a few nuns while she's investigating. Uh, she starts to distrust the one sister, Sarah, who she thought was the the one she could she could really put her faith into, um, so to speak. And so she starts off going uh, completely alone around the island, trying to get clues about what her uh, father was up to, and the fact that her mother. Um, died on this island, supposedly giving birth to her. And um, she didn't know any, but anything about her. So she wants to find out things about her mom. She wants to find things about her childhood. She finds out she lived here for seven years. Um, and just why, why this island exists, what the hell is going on. She knows there's some sort of dark uh, ceremonies going on about 40 minutes into the movie uh, because she discovers that uh, her friend, uh, Teresa, had been murdered uh on the island um in the opening in in one of the opening scenes the film actually spends like the first half um 
really letting you know what this this convent is up to. Then it steps into a mystery to be like, okay, but what are they really up to? You yeah. know, they're murderous. Yeah, they, you know, they go right to something. like they're murderers. There, there's a there's a guy that paints his visions in the attic. Yeah. Um, what are they hiding though? Yeah. What are they? What, what are they hiding? What happened? What are the murdering satanic nuns hiding? (laughs) Um, They have an underground chapel, like honeycombed with nooks and crannies. And like, they all seem pretty chill with murder. They're all into self-flagellation. At one point, they're like laying themselves prostrate in front of uh, this like image that they're in this this cave system with like... Candles everywhere. Naturally, one assumes they're the the, the bad guys in this movie. Yeah, um, but then like Dateline investigates them, and the big thing that actually turns their convent upside down is like, is this a is this a check receipt? For did you give a hundred dollars to Steve's Forbes presidential campaign in nineteen ninety six? And they're like, we liked flat tax, flat tax. They're like, oh my god, this is. Beyond the pale, who thought Steve Forbes was the best candidate? He's the president um, for you, the common man. You were a little too young to see all Steve Forbes' creepy ads in 1996 with Peter. You would have loved it. Did he host Did he host SNL at one point? He was definitely on Saturday Night Live. Because this whole thing was just getting on TV. He's like, everyone pays 20%. I'm rich. No ulterior motives. <laughs> After some investigation, uh, Elizabeth uh, basically has some. Uh, she's, she's, her mental state is starting to wear thin. Uh, her her barriers between reality and the past and the future are starting to wear thin. And she's starting to remember these images and having these nightmares of these two girls standing in front of this uh, demonic figure in front of a cross. Uh, hang, excuse me, crucified on a cross, sort of a nun on a cross figure. Um, and she essentially um, follows this this rabbit hole down. She kills another nun, and her and Sarah end up in the final. But it's easy of a- like to explain, right? Because like when the cops come, she's like, "Have you killed anyone?" She's like, "None." <laughs> they didn't even know it was a confession. Yeah, I've killed none people. <laughs> That's a plot point in um, Knives Out, isn't it? Basically, a hundred percent. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> But, uh, um, oh, so, <clears throat> so, uh, there's a final moment of confrontation and revelation inside this chamber deep in the bowels below the convent, uh, where they essentially discover that, um, if you piece this tablet together and the inform this image of this Dagon like creature, um, it will arise and sort of take its, its, uh, you know, rightful place on, on earth. Um, and it needs these two, uh, her, I keep Rightful saying her. place on earth, that feels like a value judgment, Peter. <laughs> I'm saying at this point, I would accept Dagon as my new god. Um, and uh, the the two women, uh, Elizabeth is, uh, you know, pretty, pretty into the idea. Sarah, um, also pretty into the idea. Uh, and t- Sarah takes off her um, uh, nun hat. Um, and she, uh, is that what you call it? And she uh, d- reveals that she has been sort of uh, mutated by being uh, uh, a, a half uh, sort of halfling between uh, man and this Lovecraftian monstrosity. Yeah, um, they're basically like what, one thing I like about it is that idea of like, so, you know, the nuns, I think it's called a habit, but we're going to call it a power. There top. we go. 
Uh, is, um, is Habit the whole thing, or is Habit just the head, the head part? Isn't the head part the whole thing? <laughs> like, no. I don't think there's pants. No, there's the head is... There's a head part, and then there's also, like, the rope. Yeah, but part. the head part's connected to the <laughs> shoulder parts. <laughs> shoulder parts connected to the... I, I think it's one unitard-like device, but that could be incorrect. But I, I don't know where the habit starts in the gown. None's yeah. gown. And it's probably at the rosary. <laughs> Man, we do not know enough about undressing nuns. Um... I am sure there's weird categories on Pornhub that could help uh, <laughs> us solve the mystery, um, and we'll be covering that next month in our in our Pornhub category month. Um, <laughs> no, I yeah, I don't, I don't. What what the fuck were we talking about? Uh, bad habits. <laughs> yeah, picking up bad habits. Uh no, what were we talking about though? Uh, oh no, sorry, I got it. I got it. We can cut out the part where I didn't know. Or, yeah. you know, malformed by this this being related to uh this mother of eternal sorrow. Yeah, that like I kind of love the idea because um Sarah's uh the only part of her that isn't like malformed is like a half Lovecraftian monstrosity is the part that comes out the nun's habit, right? And I love that um, it's a great visual when you kind of realize that this person who just kind of seems like someone who's like innocently trying to help and is kind of a newer nun and also recognizes there's some weird shit going on, like that she um, has kind of been nefarious and actually like her sister and moving the plot forward. But I also love the idea that that was basically the only job you can do if that just happens to be what you look like. Yeah, it's um like it, if it, if your only part is the nun window, is it called a window? Sure, face hole. Yeah, I think they'd probably prefer face hole, the nuns. <laughs> um, let's see. So I I uh yeah I, I it, Sarah is very pretty, and yeah. it's supposed to be sort of almost a Clyde Barkery sort of contrast between how pretty she is, but also how like um malformed she is all over. Um, and it, it works. It's a great image. Um, yep. and it, it's sort of, uh, her taking off the habit, taking off the robes, um, is sort of, uh, the, the revelation point in a very literal sense, right? She's, she's revealing that like beneath, you know, for some of these nuns beneath the robes, they're, they're, uh, demon fighters almost. They're like, they're, they're essentially here to, to stave off uh, oblivion her under her robes uh she is a demon she is a, a member of this this congregation and she horrifically murdered one of the other nuns in a in a previous scene yeah. and so when we're in this final kind of confrontation all the cards are laid on the table and essentially what happened was there was supposed to be this invocation uh when we were when the the the, the characters sarah and elizabeth were children she ran away she gave the tablet to another nun who ran away with it, and then the spe- this the you know demonic presence uh, chased her, and then the tablet was smashed, and this nun was killed. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, Elizabeth gains a hold of the tablet again, and uh, she uh, spills blood on it again to reform it. And then when she sees the monstrosity again, she she has a moment of clarity and she smashes the tablet again, <clears throat> putting this Dagon-like creature back in its in its crypt. So 
One wrinkle that we didn't talk about is when you see this Dagon-like creature, this mother of eternal sorrow, you go blind. Uh, seeing it uh, means you, you just can't fathom vision ever again. Um, and there's uh, a few characters on the island who have seen this this Dagon creature and, you know, have been left mentally ill and uh, unable to see. Um and one of them becomes an artist. One of them is the uh, mother superior of the convent. One of them uh, is just a local villager who lives on the island. Uh, and now in the final moments, uh, Elizabeth is living on the island wearing a wearing a convent. She has joined or wearing a habit. She has joined the convent and she is blind um, and uh, sort of has, has joined in the quest to um, keep these these uh, this creature uh, where it belongs. Yeah, so it's uh, kind of uh, like Peter said at the beginning. People that join convents are at a dangerously low rate, even in 1994. And this movie is essentially about the lengths that one convent will go to get new recruits. And it is monstrous frankly it, it didn't come out in the wash i think they lost like at least four or five and they gained one yeah i mean it's not an effective strategy but it yeah is... it's not a good recruiting strategy i would say how here's what you got to think about peter and i don't think you're thinking about it the right way so i'm going to educate you um thank you every nun has a certain amount of nun years left in them so uh, let's yeah, say we call them nun units but yeah yeah, they're, the units are one year. Uh, <laughs> uh, and so none units are years. Um, none yets. They're commonly abbreviated. None yets. None yets. So... Hold on, I'm going to do it. We're just Shh. taking the scales off my eyes. <laughs> Every nun only gets so many nunions. And uh sometimes like like here's the thing about Elizabeth. Potentially if she joins that day, she's got a lot of nunions to give. The four to five that died had at best two to five nunions left. So you think, let's say uh, you know, back of the napkin math. Goods amount of none, like if they fulfill all their nunyets, that's 25 nunyets tops. Elizabeth, like 25, 30, possibly 30 to 40 nunyets. So, even though it is true from like a quantity standpoint, um, and the different you, the different people providing the nunyet units. Which are now called nunyet units, which I get is nun-unit units, and is very confusing. It's like saying, but it's a Lovecraftian island. What are you gonna do? So, um, yeah. Ultimately, I think uh, in conclusion, (laughs) Elizabeth is gonna provide the most total nunyets, and thus is ultimately an effective recruiting (laughs) strategy for the bean counters down at the Vatican. Those were my final thoughts. <laughs> I want 70 nun units on my desk by Sunday. You turn your nun rosary in? <laughs> Do we give you badges? <laughs> you can keep you your guys, clock. Look, you can look keep your come clock. here. 
Look, uh, answer me a question. I've been dying to know. You guys also do the head shave thing the friars do, or is that uh, we can't see because <laughs> of your uh, your habits? The whole deal. The whole deal. The whole, the whole deal. But like, why not? If you're not right, <laughs> no one sees it. <laughs> do the do the circle ball thing. Be kind of weird. Do it's you, an aesthetic. When you join the convent, do you just do what Bruce Willis did once he turned like twenty eight? <laughs> You do like what Patrick Stewart did when he turned seven. <laughs> I like like the I like the picture like somebody's entering the convent and it's like them in a prison movie, just like in front of a dingy mirror taking a straight razor through, through their just taking heaps of hair off. Like shoulder length hair off with a straight razor. But then leaving like the middle of a circle. I like the idea that like um, St. Francis of Assisi or whatever was just kind of going bald. And he did the thing. He's like, it's because I'm holy. <laughs> Listen. This is a punishment for me for hot. your sins. For your sins. Thank you very much. And then he like, he was into animals, right? Oh, yeah, that guy loved animals. Big an animal. Too much? He's into barn play. Um, yeah, you... <laughs> no, you know, no, you know what, no. You know the thing about goats is... <laughs> you know how people, specifically one reviewer said that we have too many inside jokes that the audience um, might not get because they haven't listened to all our episodes? <laughs> You're really hung up on this. <laughs> There's no... No, I just... I just think it's funny, the idea that these are callbacks to something. <laughs> As if we're building some sort of deep mythological lore of the dumbest shit that's able to come to mind at any given moment. <laughs> oh, great. Nunyets again. <laughs> Every fucking episode to do a nugget measuring. I think we've already, I think we've already established also in a previous episode that if we were ever to get big enough, that somebody was willing to keep like a a wiki for us of all the shit we've said, uh, we would find it terrifying and not uh, not fun, not fun. Um, uh, the only this... thing that's actually canonically lateral is that you and Marcus Jones hate each other, and that um, on this podcast. On this podcast. It's canonical to the podcast, not to reality. Um, no, but that, I mean, not to other podcasts on our network have a different mm, relationship, potentially. And and when you guested on the Ernest podcast, you were very friendly with him. Um, yeah, I he was great. Like, that Aaron Armstrong loved Marcus. Mm-hmm. Maybe and much. also that we... we, we he hated too, Ernest, but he loved Marcus. The only thing that you, as uh, the character Aaron Armstrong, hate more... Than Marcus Jones, the character, is uh, the mystery around Natalie Wood's murder. Um, actually, what I hate is like, you ever heard of a baker's nun yet? <laughs> I need exact nun yet measuring. <laughs> and honestly, as far as we know, that's what caused Natalie Wood's uh, murder is that they just they kept they kept giving bakers nunyets into how far um, she should go underwater. <laughs> I don't know about that one. Did you hear about uh, you hear about uh, Fifty Cent? Uh, he he uh, converted to Catholicism. He's calling his he's calling his <laughs> rap band 
G-Nunyet. G-Nunyet. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Peter, we're about to wrap this up. Are we? we um, okay, so. so. So let's get to the let's get to the meat of things. So, yeah, the, that's the big subversion of this movie is that uh, the nuns were actually protecting um, yeah. protecting uh, all of us. Uh, nuns there's are a lot of good great... question mark. Um, nuns, nuns are good. Well, you don't expect murderous nuns to be good, right? So it's a good it's a good twist. Um, I mean. I think they have some things to work out. I, I'm I'm not ready to put like a good or evil label on them. I think it's a mixed bag. I mean, for all we know, um, this this uh, mother of eternal sorrow just wants to rise and um, run surf competitions for you know the best surfers in the world. So let me ask you a plot question, which I think is actually interesting to what we kind of talked about at the opening, which is. Do you think that the rituals that they are performing actually have any impact? Uh, I think that they are more of a they be, they believe they are outward facing, <clears throat> but they are more inward facing. And that what I mean by that is uh, the rituals are there to create a sense of depersonalization. And uh, to get all these nuns who might be dissatisfied and depressed living on this island alone um, to be committed to the task at hand, which is inherently grim, inherently depressing, and it inherently challenges a traditional Catholic worldview of, of what's going on, right? Like, this isn't actually proof of the devil, um, yeah. You know, maybe they've twisted the mythology to make it proof of the devil. This is, but this is proof of some sort of great sort of evil entity that they want to push out. And the leadership, the Mother Superior, and and uh, the the spokesperson for Mother Superior, their one thing they have to worry about is making sure everyone is staunchly uh, not just. Um, opposed to this god rising, but like mm-hmm. believes in the cult, like uh, you know, commitment to committed to the bit. Just gotta make sure they're committed to the bit. Yeah, that's that, so. I mean, the the most hold on, uh, the most interesting way to talk about this movie is through its like chrism of Lovecraftian horror through Catholicism. Yeah. Um, and we probably aren't like going to talk much about the imagery because we just don't do a podcast where we say, oh, my God. And then in the opening scene, the storm comes and the crucifix shakes and like it is gorgeous. And it may, like there that is like from a like visual driver, horrific image. There's so much good stuff. There's a scene where like that first woman who comes and gets murdered, that they murder her. She gets draped over the cross that they're already self-flagellating themselves over. And then like. It ends up becoming this like gorgeous painting while it's still dry. So now Jesus's crucifix wounds are filled with actual blood of this uh, person that the nuns just murdered. Like that's all like fantastic. Um, it just as a like, and then this scene is cool. It's not that interesting to talk about on a podcast. So if if you're interested, like if you just want to see an amazing horror movie that's past your your mind, I I, I know I just said this 15 minutes ago. But I do want to reiterate that we we are going back to this because from a talk about perspective, there's a lot here and there's just not another movie that scratches this particular like 
conversational itch about Lovecraft horror. And one thing I really like about this, like, so we meet the 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 beast at the end, like the mother of a million sorrows or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and we see one of the daughters and then the other daughter who eventually joins. Like, there is no part of me as a moviegoer buying into this universe and, and tr- kind of figuring out the whatever minimal rules there are to a Lovecraft horror movie that believes that somehow whipping themselves till they bleed stopped this monster from coming. As a matter of fact, the movie explicitly says it's more about these pieces and connecting and when the daughter comes and they're reunited and all this kind of stuff. And I really like that from the idea of let's 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 connect that to the rituals enshrined in uh, the religious institutions that we're we're aware of and we're used to, right? Like, let's make a hypothetical leap of faith that much like the the monster in this movie is real, that everything in Catholicism is real. Well, maybe that God's whole thing is like actually just be a good person, be nice to people, uh, you know, don't run an international pedophile ring or anything like that, and you know we're all good. Cut it out. I agree. Knock it off. Just <laughs> cut it out. Um, Do you think Coul- Dave Coulier is Roman Catholic? I, I'm moving on. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but, uh, <laughs> fuck. Um, well, hold on, let me compose myself. We're but, like, asking the hard questions. <laughs> but the thing about, like, we, we were both raised Catholic. And, like, you go to a Catholic mass or any one of their, like, sacramental ceremonies or stuff like this, and there's all this stuff. There's all this accoutrements. Like, here's where we raise the host up and do a little song, and here's where we all – like, it is this, like, ritual um, that as, like, I've moved further away from attending it on a weekly basis and having my cognitive dissonance being like, this is all normal. Everything that happens here is normal. Just a thing I do on Sundays. You realize how odd it is and also just odd in the idea that, like, does God need any of this? <laughs> like, like even if you buy into the Catholic idea, don't you ultimately just need, like, the host Right, you need to ingest some God, transubstantiation. You get your God fixed for the week. You get to live holy, whatever. Like all the ritual components are just like added and don't do anything. But I really like that interpretation, Peter. Where it's like that just keeps them motivated, keeps them on track. Uh, it reminds them of like what they're focused on, and without that, if they just sat around all day and tried to like prevent it. You kind of lose probably the the drive and the desire, um, and so the in some ways, so I, many religious organizations are focused on service. Uh, yeah, so not the reason all of them are. Some of them, it's genuinely trying to improve the world, but but many religious organizations, Mormonism is is one of them, are really focused on service. Is because if you're busy cleaning and building and refinishing and lacquering and all that shit you have a lot less time and and uh patience to uh be questioning the the you know the deity and you have a lot less uh mental energy to go out and explore outside the organization yeah and also like you know if you're if you're even if it's something as simple as like weekly mass or something like that or like i know a lot of like christian uh, religions um, 
have like you go Sunday and Wednesday, right? It's like that you almost need that booster shot to remember like, yep, here's all the things and this is why you do everything to some extent, right? Like the reason you're a good father and the reason that you're a good mother and the reason that you're a good citizen and the reason you're a good worker is all because of this stuff. You do all this stuff and it it's it's interesting that like you there's always a sense that like uh, if you don't do that, you will eventually grow out of it. Like just the re- repetitive cycles of it keep people tethered to it in a way that they don't even understand while it's happening. Um, and I, I just like that. That like this is a su- such a focused effort. Uh, this isn't about like we worship this god so that we get into the kingdom of heaven or live, have eternal life or anything like that. This is like, yeah, there's this thing and we need to stop it from happening. It's like, we need to keep the genie out of the bottle. And theoretically they're just guards, right? Like they're guards watching a fucking Island water hole to make sure that the bad thing doesn't get out. They don't need to constantly be doing things to, complete their task or stay vigilant in their task and yet because they're catholic nuns they've still worked up a different type of ritual um even if it has echoes of catholicism and christianity especially like medieval and uh christianity or pre like uh, pre-reformation vatican II christianity and catholicism like it's still like well this is what we know yeah. Like, this is how we keep motivated. It is in, like, a really weird way. And I don't mean this as a joke. It is, like, the equivalent of of putting sick techno beats on your workout playlist because running is hard. And if I can focus on the music I'm listening to and the propulsive energy I'm getting through my, you know, through my headphones, I I don't have to focus on how much this fucking elliptical machine sucks ass. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, that's that's a really that's a really good way of putting because I think we agree there is that like their their Catholic dogma doesn't really have much effect there, but their yeah. insistence on defending this convent and making sure that uh, anybody that touches any piece of the the tablet um, gets uh, horrifically murdered um, that is helping. Um, it, the the stuff that's actually not part of their core belief system is doing the most. Um, the rest of it is sort of just keeping them uh, focused on the mission. Um, and, uh, I really like, I really like the film. I really love a lot of the ways that they use, uh, they tie these two, the, the, yeah, like you were saying, they, they see, um, Lovecraft through the scope of Catholicism. Mm -hmm. And, but I do love when, um, because uh, there's also like there's a little bit of um the going back almost to the core of what Catholicism is like Catholicism is heavy on imagery um, and uh, so to speak and I don't mean this in a derogatory way but I'm allowed to talk shit about a religion that I was raised in um, icons um, and the concept of icons versus a kind of class and the idea of taking Catholicism specifically with its rituals its specific secret orders, its secret secluded orders, cloistered orders, um, and uh, having them defend the pieces of a tablet, an image of the god, 
Uh, that put up against uh, the opening scene, which is amazing, by the way. Uh, yeah. There's there's an opening scene where Dagon there's is almost pissed. like two opening scenes, and they're both really great because then the bus lady comes and gets murdered, and that's fantastic too. Yeah. So there's okay. So there's uh, an, an actual sort of prologue that's completely mysterious to us. Like Aaron was saying, the the plot sort of um, meanders a little bit to fit in this sort of dreamy cosmic horror thing because. Elizabeth doesn't remember her past as a child. Like, it's almost been blocked from her to protect her. Um, and because of that, she's sort of floating towards this this point. And you don't know if it's actually her motivation that brought her back to the island or if it's um, Dagon calling her. In which case, like, it makes sense why this movie would be so dreamy and, and not plot driven and not detail heavy. Because da- she is so committed to getting this island and figuring out what's going on. And if, like, this, this Dagon-like being is calling to her, it really makes sense, right? Um, but she... There's a couple things going on. The um, the the whole of the image is what raises the beast. The whole of the image with blood on it. That is extremely related to the opening sequence where we see uh, this torrent of water, because this is sort of like a Dagon water god, um, torrent of water rushing into this church. And they built a chapel inside of a water tank. And they had one take to get it right. And it looks so cool. <laughs> like water rushes in the front door. It smashes down this brick facade. It drowns a priest who gets uh, murdered by a crucifix that's floating in the water. Like the weight of it stabs him. Um, and like the concept of a crucifix, which is uh, a cross with a image of Christ on it, uh, usually features blood um, and some image of, of lamenting and suffering. Um Paired with this tablet, this maybe it's a bas relief of uh, of uh, Dagon, uh, is very interesting to me as a Catholic because, like, I grew up a Catholic. Say, like, one big part of growing up Catholic was them saying, like, we don't worship Mary, we also don't worship Jesus, but also this specific. Uh, rosary we're going to handle hand you is very important treat it as respectfully <laughs> as you would uh you know an, a, a possession of christ um and that sort of uh, uh focus on objects ritual objects makes this movie even more uh tightly paired with with uh catholicism yeah yeah i i kind of feel like those are good points to end on like I, I don't. I mean, there's unless you have some other final notes yeah. you want to throw. Let me out throw there. a few a few more Lovecraft stuff in because that is the month, right? Um, there's this dead fish harvest beach, uh, where all these dead fish har- 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 uh, wash up on this beach, and uh, Elizabeth is taken in a sort of revelry and just chomps into one, which is awesome because it's sort of oh yeah, that's very Innsmouth. Um, the idea of a lot of Innsmouth stuff, Innsmouth. Has a lot of water, as they say. Yes. This movie is kind of a fun cousin to the film Dagon. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think that's a good call out. Uh, they're both very wet movies. Um, love, my, love a wet movie. Love a wet movie. So this, the, she's chomping on this fish, eating like this raw fish off the beach. She kind of goes feral for a moment. It's like her, 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 a hint at what's actually going on behind the scenes. And... Um, Another thing that they say that's just great uh, cosmic horror stuff is there's a blind painter who paints uh, like oracular visions 
Um, and he sort of sees all this stuff happening before it happens. And he, and like, he's sort of a raving loon locked in the basement, but they still use his paintings as like indicators of what's going to happen. It's so cool. Um, and then the, uh, the final thing I really want to touch on, um, is that the, there's a phrase they use, uh, which is, um, they refer to the the Dagon, the the the, um, the mother of eternal sorrow, as the beast that was and is not and yet is. That's sort of using both, and they use that in the same dialogue that they call the beast, the Alpha and the Omega, and they're kind of taking those two. Yeah, that's the uh, Gospel of Mark thing, right? Like uh, I am who am. That might not be the Gospel of Mark. That might be what Yahweh means. Yeah, maybe. But it's using specifically Catholic language uh, um, that was constructed uh, from the Old Testament, constructed from the original Greek and Hebrew and Latin, and sort of taking these these pieces of, of current Catholic doctrine that was pulled from Judaism and uh, forming this Lovecraft God out of, out of language that like could possibly blend into your gospel you would hear at church. And the beast that was and is not and yet is, is that is the definition of what a Lovecraftian God is, right? Like they both exist and they don't exist and they're here, but not here. Like this cannot be confined to flesh and blood. And now and then this is the thing outside of time. It's a thing outside of space. And that's what I, I love about this movie. I love that. the I love that the movie is a Italian guy who read Lovecraft in Italian, Maria, Mariano uh, Baiano is the director. Uh, and then he got his English crew together to go to the Ukraine and shoot his strange, dreamy, cosmic horror vision of how he interpreted um, how he interpreted um, the, uh, the, the Lovecraft mythos through growing up as a Catholic Italian, like a Roman Catholic. So cool. I am that I am just for uh, biblical sticklers is actually a common English translation of a Hebrew phrase uh, describing God from Exodus not from Mark and not uh, I am who I am. I am that I am. I mean, they're clearly riffing on that turn of that particular turn of phrase, right? Oh, yeah. hundred percent. I was just making sure I like I. I I think I think Mark I think Mark is like the in the beginning there was the word and the word was made flesh which also I mean again Bible's got a lot of good horror stuff in the beginning there was the word and the word was made flesh what if that word is fuck monster <laughs> now that's basically all Cronenberg movies does God use hyphens in, in the word God. is it fuck monster uh, God word? loves hyphens <laughs> his three favorite creations are like angels man hyphens uh, god created everything he uh invented second tier punctuation marks i i love an m dash personally uh, a standard you love an m dash you're you're an m dasher i'm i'm a i'm a, I'm a dash rendar over here i'm a big slash i like the slash I like uh, uh you, Slash and Dash is what they call us together, baby. If we had a morning zoo crew, we'd be Slash and Dash. Welcome to Slash and Dash, the all-secondary tier punctuation mark podcast. (laughs) So my buddy said you can use a semicolon when... (laughs) Semicolons definitely counts. (laughs) You're up arrow, get on the third tier punctuation show. 
Uh, Some keyboards don't even have it. We initially planned to cover Black Mountain Side. Yeah, we might cover Black Mountain Side. Uh, we might cover the Beach House. We might cover both. We're having a little, when we're recording this debate on which one we want to talk about. I think the answer is both. But we just got one slot. What could we do? Double up? Are you a crazy? Good night. Think I walk out in the rain Called you time and time again I got no reply You've gone Reach the point Thank you so much for listening to We Love to Watch. If you made it to the end, hopefully you liked what you heard today. And if you'd like to hear more, please go to patreon.com slash we love to watch. And if you can chip in a few bucks, that would really help us keep the lights on and keep us moving forward. Uh, it wasn't an implicit threat by Peter. He just didn't know how to say it. But either way, we'll continue to make more. But it would be helpful uh, as we explain to our loved ones where all our money is going, which is all on server space. Uh, <laughs> if you can't, <laughs> uh, if you don't have a few bucks to chip in, we totally understand. And you want to support the show. We truly, absolutely would appreciate a uh, review on iTunes. I know every podcast says it, and it's because it really does help. And so every podcast wants that help. So please go leave us a positive review so that when people find this show organically, they hopefully want to tune in and listen. And thanks again for all of your listenership and support and time throughout the years. Uh, We really do appreciate you. Uh, With kisses and smooches, Peter and Aaron. (laughs)